This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 201. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I am joined on this special episode of the podcast. I feel like we say that all the time. That's because every episode is indeed special. Matthew Marister, what's going on, sir? Hey, Riley, and hey, everybody out there. Um, nothing new for me, same old thing, but uh, excited because we have some new stuff for the podcast, and uh, obviously the winners are going to be announced and that's always exciting. So <laughs> super exciting. And <laughs> Hey Matthew, like you, did you clean up or something, man? Like you're looking sharp today, brother. Did you even put a little makeup on for the <laughs> Facebook live feed today or what? No, I exfoliated. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Cool. Thanks for noticing. Thanks for <laughs> Hey, everyone, today is our usual news episode of the podcast, and as Matthew has pointed out, we've been running this 200th episode celebration giveaway uh, as a a thank you to all of you out there that have made reaching this milestone possible. Today, we open a new era of the podcast with episode number 201, and we do that by bringing a new special segment to the podcast, which I'll introduce here momentarily, so stay tuned for that. I think you'll really enjoy but uh, we'll, and just to kind of spread out the fun, we're, we're going to introduce a couple of winners uh, right off the bat, uh, but we're going to save the rest of them for later in the episode today. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to find out if you're one of the giveaway winners. Uh, we will not give your full name over the, over the air, but uh, we will be uh, mentioning, we'll mention first names and maybe last uh, name initial or something and just expect uh there's a chance you might be expecting something because you coincidentally have the same first name and last name initial uh, as someone else, but expect an email from us within an hour or so of finishing today's episode and you'll be contacted uh, ASAP and letting, letting you know of the prizes that you've won. So be watching for that because if we don't hear from you within probably 24 hours, we'll unfortunately have to move on to the, uh, next potential winner of of one of our great prizes so today's episode though first of all is brought to you by glock e trainer which is a great little dry fire training tool device it's just it's not meant to do you know everything and and, and anything you know with, with with regards to dry fire but it just adds another tool to your arsenal that can enhance your dry fire experience i think it's awesome um, matthew i think you've played around with them a little bit as well yeah, yeah. I was actually, uh, I actually, I don't know if I found the the device or whatnot, but I was I was searching the internet and I found this this guy um, named George in Greece, and I thought, man, this is pretty cool. And he uh, sent it out so I could review it, and then we talked to Jacob, and he was like, wow, this is cool. You liked it, and it was it's kind of one of those things. It was like, wow, wh- why didn't I why didn't I think of this? It's so simple, but it's cool. So, yeah, awesome, man. In fact, you and I had a discussion pretty early on uh, about about the, the product and the concept, and uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's it's exciting though to see it really hitting the market and it's hitting it strong in a big way. And we appreciate Glock E Trainer for being a sponsor of today's episode of the podcast. Today's episode is also brought to you by Guardian Nation, and you should know 
Tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we have a Guardian Nation live event with Mr. Jeff Gonzalez of Trident Concepts. So those of you that are Guardian Nation members, we appreciate you. And we are getting back into the swing of things, the groove of things with the uh, monthly Guardian Nation live events. Tonight should be fantastic. Hope to see you there. Log into your into the members area portal, whatever thing of the uh, 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 of your dashboard uh, on concealedcarry.com into the Guardian Nation portion of that, and you should have a link there for tonight's live event. We hope to see you there. So, with that. Matthew, I think it's time to announce a couple of the giveaway winners. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know. Um, no. You yeah, think why not? Let's go. You think you're in the list, maybe? Uh, I, I have my fingers crossed, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to win. <laughs> Something's hold, telling me I'm not going to win. Hold on, though, for a second. I got I to gotta crack something open in celebration. <sighs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, I love barks. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's get to uh, our first winner. I think we should do a drum roll. Uh, I've I've we've pulled these names randomly from those that uh, submitted. You know, you had, we asked you to do just a brief little survey about the podcast, and then once you got through that, you could you know register for the actual giveaway itself. We appreciate to all of you that have have done that. Several hundred of you. Uh, participated, I think over 500 of you. So that was pretty cool. That said, your odds of winning are pretty good considering, you know, compared to many uh, giveaways that you see out there, probably about one in a hundred. So ex- I'm excited. I-, I pulled the first name here and the winner of this first prize, uh, this prize being a one year Guardian Nation membership. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, one year Guardian Nation membership. The winner is, and I think his last name starts with an I, if I got it correctly here, Tim I. All right, Tim, expect an email from me very soon. Winner number two. Oh, we forgot the drum roll. Uh, winner number two is going to receive a GPS Outdoors handgunner backpack. These things are freaking awesome. You know what? Love I it. could have pulled one out here and showed everybody on the camera, but it's it's sitting over there <laughs> a little bit outside of arm's reach. I'm not going to walk away from the mic. GPS Outdoors handgunner backpack. Uh, they're not – I mean, they're, th- these are great backpacks. Uh, retail price like $150 or $160 is worth every penny. I love mine. It took me a while to – until I saw Jacob and I saw him using his regularly and it finally clicked and I went, oh, hey, actually these things are pretty cool. I love mine. Buck H, you are the lucky winner, sir, of a GPS outdoors handgunner backpack. So congratulations, Tim I and Buck H on winning, on being two of our two of our five giveaway winners. So there you go. We have three more of you that we will announce later on in the episode. So stay tuned. Stick around. We'll get to those. Ah, yes. And Michael's asking, how many people filled out the survey? It was somewhere over 500. I think about 500 or so that filled it out. Uh, what were the results? Maybe we'll share those with you at some point. We're still aggregating all those results. And so everyone knows those are indeed 
anonymous. I have no idea which one of you, you know, that's why when you go through that whole thing, it's a two-step process. And they're, they're, those are two things that are separate, separate from each, each other. So we don't know who filled out what, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll aggregate those results. And um, most of that's for, for our information, you know, we, but, but there's information there that might be relevant to some of you too. So um, appreciate all of you that participated pretty interesting things that, that from what I've seen so far, uh, a lot of great comments too on the podcast and, and we really appreciate it. Uh, Charlie says today's live broadcast is a great interruption from shoveling snow. I agree. We got, we got probably the best storm that we've seen all winter, uh, last night, yesterday and last night here in the Denver area. So I was actually shoveling this morning myself and, uh, yeah, it's a great break. You're right. I'm going to be back at it some more here in a little bit. So, all right. Uh, thanks to those of you that participated in the giveaway, and we'll announce the remaining winners later on. But now is my is my privilege, Matthew. You ready for this? Yes, now sir. It is my privilege to introduce to you a new segment on the podcast, and that segment is what we call Andrew Branca's Law of Self Defense Case of the Week. We appreciate Andrew Branca and the Law of Self-Defense for providing this. This will be an ongoing weekly thing where Andrew presents one relevant uh, self-defense-oriented case and gives us a breakdown on that, his legal analysis, which is always pretty well spot on. So uh, we, we thank uh, Andrew for putting this together. So listen for a few moments. These are, these are brief analyses of uh, various cases that he has studied. Uh, it doesn't take too long to get through. So let's listen to this first one now. Thanks to the Concealed Carry Podcast for having me on to share this week's Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca with lawofselfdefense.com. This content is provided for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, you must consult with competent legal counsel licensed to practice in the relevant jurisdiction. This week's case of the week, Jenkins v. State comes out of the Mississippi Court of Appeals and a decision handed down February 13, 2018. The case involves the admissibility of evidence of specialized knowledge in self-defense cases. Jenkins, the appellant in this case, had shot and killed the adult son of his living girlfriend. He was charged with murder, which carries a sentence of life in prison in Mississippi. At trial, he was permitted to raise the legal defense of self-defense, and to buttress his claim of self-defense, he sought to introduce evidence tending to show the victim's violent nature, the victim of his use of purported deadly force, the adult son of his girlfriend. Specifically, the appellant wanted to introduce into evidence the victim's prior convictions for acts of violence. Four years prior to the shooting, the victim had been convicted of carrying a concealed weapon. And two years and one year prior to the shooting, the victim had been convicted of domestic violence. Now, this kind of evidence is generally referred to as character evidence. And in general, character evidence is inadmissible in court. The legal principle being that just because someone may have acted one way in the past doesn't mean that they acted in conformity with that pattern on the particular instance that's the subject of a particular trial. Now, one major exception to this rule prohibiting the admissibility of character evidence arises in the context of a case of self-defense. 
If you're claiming self-defense, you're claiming that you had to defend yourself against some other person's threat or act of violence. And thus, evidence of that other person's violent character becomes directly relevant to your defense. Here, however, the trial court denied the admissibility of the victim's prior convictions for acts of violence, so the jury never heard that evidence. Ultimately, the jury would reject the claim of self-defense, convict the appellant of murder, and the court would sentence him to life in prison. Now, the appellant appealed his conviction to the Court of Appeals in part on the grounds that the denial by the trial court of the evidence of the victim's prior convictions for acts of violence was reversible error that undermined his claim of self-defense. The Court of Appeals essentially reviewed the legal principles I've just described around the admissibility of normally prohibited character evidence in a self-defense case, but agreed that the trial court had made the correct decision in rejecting the character evidence in this case. Why? Because the appellant was not able to demonstrate that he knew of the victim's convictions for violent acts at the time he shot the victim in purported self-defense. Indeed, the evidence tended to show that he did not learn of the victim's prior convictions until after the fact. To quote the Court of Appeals, quote, because the appellant was unaware of the victim's prior convictions, he could not have considered the victim's violent past when he decided to shoot the victim. The convictions were irrelevant to the appellant's state of mind at the time he shot the victim and his subsequent self-defense theory. Therefore, the trial court did not err when it excluded evidence of the victim's prior convictions. Close quote. This kind of character evidence is also a form of specialized knowledge. Specialized knowledge meaning any kind of knowledge that you could not presume the jury to possess. The jury's presumed to possess common knowledge, things like fire is hot, but they're not presumed to possess specialized knowledge, which is either knowledge acquired in specialized education or training or knowledge of a personal nature you would not expect the jury to know. If that specialized knowledge is relevant to a case, then it can be admitted into court, but only if the defendant can demonstrate that they possess that specialized knowledge at the time they acted in self-defense. If they only learned of the knowledge later, it could not have been relevant to their decision-making at the time of the events in question. This is important to us in the self-defense community because our community is chock-full of specialized knowledge. Things like the Tuller drill, things like the relative effectiveness or ineffectiveness of a handgun for self-defense. There's tons of stuff we learn in any kind of training, even just reading a gun magazine, that would qualify as specialized knowledge that might have informed our decision-making in self-defense and might be why what might appear as an unreasonable use of defensive force if you didn't have this specialized knowledge becomes a reasonable use of defensive force if you do have the specialized knowledge. And if that knowledge is required in order to conclude that the use of defensive force was reasonable, well, who's making that decision in court? It's the jury. So it's really important that they be provided with the specialized knowledge. Typically, you would do that by bringing in an expert witness to testify about that specialized knowledge. Expert witness can come in only if the specialized knowledge is admissible, and it's only admissible if you can show that you possess that specialized knowledge at the time you acted in self-defense. If you didn't know it at the time, it won't be admissible. The take-home lesson for us is be sure to document your training. Keep your certificates. Keep a syllabus of the course. Keep your notes. The good news is you don't need a lot of evidence that you possessed some particular specialized knowledge at the time you acted in self-defense. It's basically a more than zero evidence threshold. 
If you can show more than zero evidence that you had that knowledge at the time, that will be good enough to get that evidence admitted. But if you can't show more than zero evidence, the prosecution will almost certainly be successful in keeping that knowledge from the jury. And that knowledge might be exactly what you need to convince the jury that your use of defensive force was reasonable under the circumstance. Always, we do encourage you to read the whole case, which in this particular instance is pretty straightforward because the decision is relatively short and it's largely written in plain English, so it's easy to understand. You can find that full case at our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash law of self-defense. That's it for this law of self-defense case of the week. As a listener of the Concealed Carry podcast, you can save 10% on just about everything at lawofselfdefense.com, including live classes, online classes, instructional DVDs and books, and more by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash concealed carry and using the discount code CCP for Concealed Carry podcast at checkout. Don't forget, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. Well, there you go. Uh, first uh, case of the week on the Concealed Carry podcast for Mr. Andrew Branca at uh, Law of Self Defense. Good stuff. What do you think, Matthew? Yeah, no, I think it's super important because, um, it, you know, a lot of times we think of the law in black and white and we think of, you know, when we what if scenarios and people ask, well, especially in classes, if I do this, am I going to go to jail? If I do that, you know, am I justified? And, and you know, to understand how the law works is, is and, and that it's not black and white and it's oftentimes or very much so gray in interpretation and, um, and a lot of times it comes down to a crafty attorney being able to uh, either keep evidence out or bring evidence in. And these types of things are really important to understand. And uh, it just makes you a more well-rounded um, concealed carrier or self-defense person because, you know, we can practice all we want on the tactical side of things, but if we don't uh, also train our mind and our understanding of the law and, and how the law, how, how the process works. Um, we're leaving a big, a big, uh, hole in our, in our understanding of everything that goes into self-defense. So I think these are, are great. I hope the listeners like it. And, uh, and like I, I put in the, in the notes, if you could give us a thumbs up, if you, if you learn something or if you like it, if you think we should keep it in the podcast or, you know, if it's something that you don't like, you know, give us a, an angry face or something because, uh, you know, we want to give you guys, uh, information that that's useful to you. So, um, yeah, good stuff, man. I hope you all enjoyed uh, the case of the week. So, uh, we'll get those weekly from, uh, Mr. Branca and we'll include those in the uh, Tuesday episodes of the concealed carry podcast. All right, let's now move on to our first news story. And this first one is interesting to me, Matthew, because here we have Democrat Connor Lamb, who is, uh, yeah, he's running for governor in the state of Pennsylvania, right? Mm -hmm. And so you would expect, you know, you've got him and you've got Rick Sacconi. Is the other that's the Republican candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, and you've got Connor Lamb is on the Democratic side. 
If I was to ask you, just come to this, come to you on the street and say, what do you think Mr. Lamb's stance on the Second Amendment and this, you know, recent shooting and all this stuff is? What, what do you think, Matthew? Yeah, our knee-jerk reaction is to think, you know, all Democrats are aligned with with uh, gun control. I mean, it is part of their their political platform. Um, and, you know, you would think that all Republicans are against gun control because, you know, they're right. uh, more pro-Second Amendment. So our first two news stories today paint a dichotomy of a picture in this regard. So hold on to your seats, folks. Democrat gov- uh, gubernatorial candidate Connor Lamb is holding firm in his belief that Congress does, n- does not need to pass stricter gun control laws following the school shooting in Florida, insisting the best way to deter these kinds of horrific events is to enforce the laws on the books. This according to an article in the Washington Times at WashingtonTimes.com. And the interesting thing is he, he elaborates. He says, Uh, Here's a quote from him. No parent should ever drop their child off at school and be afraid they won't be alive at the end of the day. My heart breaks for those families in Florida and in Congress. I will work to make sure that people with serious mental illnesses do not have access to guns. Excuse me. I'm just a minor correction. I said gubernatorial candidate. He is running for Congress. I apologize. Our next candidate or the next person we're going to talk about is a governor. Mr. Lamb said more money needs to be invested in the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and enforcing the background check system. He said he'd be willing to look at proposals aimed at strengthening the system, including closing the gun show loophole and expanding firearm background checks and internet sales, but said the focus should be on mental health. You know, there's a couple of things there that we could dissect a little further, obviously, but uh, uh, but generally speaking, he's saying that let's we don't have to do anything too crazy he is not calling for anything too drastic or or a ban on a so-called assault weapons either so uh your thoughts on this matthew i i you know i think that this kind of underscores it um if you look at where he's where he's running for uh for his position it's in pennsylvania right and trump won pennsylvania um which you know i i think probably they're looking at and saying the the people are more pro second amendment in general. And, you know, and for me, let me, let me put this out. I am very um, skeptical of any politician because I believe a lot of times they don't vote with, or they don't say the things they really believe. They say what the party wants them to, to, to um, say, or what they believe will keep them in office. Um, so for me, I come to that, I come from a skeptical point of, you know, background yeah. in that, but, um, you know, I would hope that, you know, maybe he, he truly believes and, and understands and, um, is not going to toe the line on something that he thinks is, is, uh, is just not going to work. I mean, um, w- whenever somebody says something is common sense, it's always like, Okay, it's common sense if you if you agree with it. You know, it's not common sense if you don't agree with it. So, um, I think that's kind of a, a bogus term to throw out there, and it kind of takes away from the substance of what the person's going to say because it automatically uh, assumes that everybody believes that and they don't. So, um, but yeah, I I, th- I thought it was interesting when I saw this because yep. um, our knee jerk reaction to say, oh, you know, all Democrats or all left wingers and all this, but you know. Uh, some people actually think with their mind 
and they don't, um, they don't always just toe the line. So kudos for this guy. Yep. No, I I completely agree that this definitely could be him just wanting to cater to his, you know, potential constituents, um, trying to win this election. And then maybe after the fact, he flip flops back to what he really thinks or how he really feels. Uh, but either way, we recognize here on the podcast that we sometimes have Democrats that are very pro-gun and even Republicans that are anti-gun. Uh, we on the podcast have always tried to not, you know, even though I'm a very conservative, you know, political individual myself, we at least try to approach things on the podcast uh, fairly and unbiased in a, and in a generally unbiased manner, uh, being solely focused on pro-gun, right? And so anyway. That's an interesting story, but here's the flip side of that. So this is the story about Governor Ohio Governor John Kasich, uh, or Kasich. Is it Kasich or Kasich? Uh, I, I say I say Benedict Arnold. I'm sorry, pronounced Kasich. Sorry, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so Cincinnati.com reports that John Governor John Kasich is changing his stance on guns draws fire, including from his number two. And, this, the, you know, Matthew, you're from Ohio, you're out there, you're living this. Uh, take it away. Yeah, well, I mean, Governor Kasich, obviously, a lot of people started to know more about him when he ran for president um, and saw that he kind of touts himself as like the middle of the road Republican or the Republican that can bring everybody together. And he's always talking about, you know, how he's he's a moderate, but he, you know, he stands true to the Republican values and this and that. Um, but he has a history of um, of going against um, gun legislation in the past. Recently, he yep. supported um, gun, he supported gun legislation. He actually, uh, the NRA gave him like good marks and things like that. Um, the gun laws in Ohio have been trending in a positive way, and he hasn't vetoed any legislation um, that's come across so far. Um, but there's always like this underlying thing with Kasich that like you don't really know what you have, um, and you know, right now, Ohio is is uh, fighting. We have the most antiquated um, self-defense laws in the country, um, and we're fighting right. to change that to get um, uh, a standard ground implemented. Um, and, you know, we're kind of in a in a in a situation where we we don't know if um, if Kasich is going to uh, to veto a bill that would even pass uh, the 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 uh, Congress. So yeah, he's not too he's not being uh, these comments aren't being well taken in the gun community here in in Ohio. Um, I mean, I'll quote exactly what he said. He said, um, if all of a sudden you couldn't buy an AR-15, would, what would you lose? Would you feel your Second Amendment rights would be eroded? These are, the, these are the things that have to be looked at and action has to happen. So he's not coming out saying that he's going to ban the AR-15s or anything like that, but you can see that it's, it's on his mind. Like, and so in his statement, like, like what what would you lose like it's not a big deal and so he's missing the whole the whole crux of like the whole second amendment like so yeah so not good yeah no it's so true uh other other quotes from him i mean you quoted from his uh twitter uh post uh right there uh he, he said uh 
action has to happen before. And look, you're never going to fix all of this, but common sense gun laws make sense. Uh, he's elaborated somewhat on the, you know, that he believes we should look towards and pass common sense gun laws. You know, I, I chuckle at this, Matthew, because I have to ask the question, what is considered common sense? Is it common sense to, uh, you know, every town, <laughs> oh, you know, and Michael Bloomberg, is it common sense for the NRA? Is it, you know, common sense is a purely subjective concept, right? Absolutely. Uh, common sense to one person is, is something else to another. Uh, but here's the thing, like when, when we can point at flaws in your, uh, in your arguments, for instance, uh, that, that to me doesn't seem to be very common sense. Now, I know the other side will point to a lot of things that we say, including here on the podcast, and, and, and point out things they believe are flawed in, in our own reasoning. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a fair point. Uh, I mean, in, in that we can always point out the other person's flaws in their argument. Um, that's part of debate and conversation doesn't mean that you that the other side is right. <laughs> I mean, uh, when we see, I mean, for instance, let's go to this AR-15 concept. Governor Kasich says, uh, you know, w- would you feel all of a sudden that your Second Amendment rights were eroded because you couldn't buy an AR-15? Would you, yeah. you know? So uh, yeah. This comes across as trying to sound very reasonable. Like, would you feel, you know, he's kind of implying that, hey, you know, this is just just a, this is just a gun. This is just one particular class of guns. Like, come on, like if we just outlawed those, would that really make it feel like your Second Amendment rights were eroded? And so you say yes, Matthew. Let me ask you now, why? Explain that position. Because the, when you start to chip away at certain parts of the the Second Amendment, and you you start to redefine what guns are okay and what's not. Um, you, you don't have the Second Amendment. You have an interpretation of the Second Amendment that can be reinterpreted next year, the following year, whoever else wants to reinterpret it. And it, it's not open to interpretation outside of the Supreme Court, right? I mean, if you want to repeal the Second Amendment, which we'll talk about in a second, there's there's a process to go through, right? Um, but you don't, you, you don't do that. And not to mention that doing that it, it doing that does zero to solve the problem so it, it it's for me i just don't understand how you get to well let's just do this um to to make people happy we know it's not going to work but we're just going to do it to make people happy and by the way it's going to infringe on on a constitutional right but it's okay because we're going to make these people happy and we know it's not going to work, but we'll just do it anyways. And it, it, I, I think it just breaks down. You don't see that with any other constitutional right. You don't say, you know, Oh, let's, let's not let people talk on the internet or let's not people let people do this because, you know, really talking on the internet, would you really be, you know, put out if you couldn't argue on a post on the internet, you know, really? Yep. So, uh, that's my that's my take. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so here's here's one thing I look at, Matthew, is that this this idea, what Governor Kasich is basically asking us is, are you okay to give up this one class of firearms, this one 
type, you know, the AR-15. Are you willing to give up this one class? Now, by the way, that is not what will happen if it ever goes that way. It won't be just AR-15s. It will be AK-47 style or AK-74 style guns. It will be potentially things like the the Ruger uh, Mini-14 and Mini-30, things like that. Although that one has been slipping under the radar a little bit more recently. I mean, it doesn't look evil. It doesn't look all black. But... Um, you know, but but that's what's going to happen is that many of these carbine length rifles that are semi-automatic and have the capability of of holding or, uh, or shooting from a large or higher capacity magazine, meaning thirty round magazine is pretty typical for that class of weapon. Uh, that you, we presently do not see an entire class of weapons at the federal level uh, banned. Like outright banned, other than short barreled rifles, right? Short barreled shotguns, uh, fully automatics. Like, those are examples of full class, you know, complete classes of weapons that are currently banned. The short barrel rifle thing, I don't know that I really understand, <laughs> especially with the current uh, policy on, on pistol braces and the fact that most. AR pistols and similar, just they're basically SBRs, you know, at the end of the day is basically mm-hmm. what they are. Right. But, but that's what you currently have is you have these, these current other classes of weapons that are currently banned. And those have been in place for some time and have generally been accepted. Um, but here's the thing. We we're talking about banning another entire class of weapon. One that's very common and one that's very popular. And also I might add one that does have its uses besides what the other side of this debate would have you believe, which is only killing people, meaning only killing innocent people. That's not true at all. In fact, we see many positive uses of AR-15s and other carbine semi-automatics that uh, we share, we've shared numerous stories of people defending their, their homes, their families, and their lives with these types of weapons. That's a valid use of that weapon. Okay, it's one that makes sense. A popular example is uh, just last year in Houston, in the Houston, Texas area, where a man used an AR to stop. He shot three thugs in a vehicle that pulled up in front of his house and opened fire on him with an illegal, an illegal, you know, an illegally obtained AR-15. They opened fire on him. He returns fire, hits all three of them, and kills two of them. He. It's it's remarkable to me. I'd love to hear more of the backstory because it's like, how is it? He's sitting on his like front porch or he's in his yard or something, and he he just has an AR like hanging out there. I, I guess I don't know, but hey, like more power to him. Like that's that's awesome. Like good for you. He would have been outgunned if he wasn't allowed to have possessed that that fire. Does banning this class of weapons take this and remove it from the hands of criminals? Well, absolutely not. We know the answer to that, right? Would banning AR-15s stop shootings like what happened in Florida from happening? Absolutely not. Keep in mind that one of the most famous active or mass shootings, and particularly one that happened on school grounds, occurred during the assault weapons ban. And that would be Columbine. And they didn't use a single AR-15 in that instance. So, all right. Did it keep him from doing it, though? No. And neither did Virginia Tech. He used two handguns. He used handguns. That's right. So you know very well that if we – and David comments here. Here comes that slippery slope. 
the slippery slope is real because you know what will happen. We'll ban this class of weapons in the next shooting that happens. And I'm sorry to say it's going to happen. It might look different. It might be in a totally different location or place. But when that next one comes around, what do we have to look to next? Ban more guns. Ban, ban the next more, one. You know, ban semi-automatic handguns. Uh, continue, you know, restricting magazine capacities. Um, you know, it, it just means banning something else. You know that will happen. That's what. That's where it'll go. That's where it's led. Everywhere else, gun control has been implemented in in the other places of the world. So. Governor Kasich, shame on you for thinking that this is even reasonable or common sense at all, because it does not address the problem at hand. We know that. You know that, Matthew. Our listeners know that. I know you guys get that, but we've got to stand up to this non-common sense, this, this nonsensical type of argumentation out there, because this is what's being argued because people are feeling emotional, and, and for good reason, 17 people died last week at a school. Shouldn't have happened. There's a lot of mistakes that were made, mistakes on law enforcement's part, unfortunately, primarily the FBI. I'm not so sure the FBI's responsibility to was, was to do a whole lot investigation-wise there, but they got a tip. They should have done something on it, and then they should have handed it back to local law enforcement at the very least. Instead, no action was taken for the most part. Yeah, it's right. weird. It's it's funny to me, like when the people that are calling for you know more more government, you know, oversight on the purchase of guns in the 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 control of of uh, guns, when we see that the government in this case specifically, in other cases, drop the ball. So you're saying like we're going to put all this. We want to give more more power to the federal government to watch and, and make sure that, um, you know, people aren't getting a hold of guns, but they can't even handle enforcing the, 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 the laws and, and, um, find the red flags that are right in front of them right now. So, so you, it, it it's just, it's beyond me. Like I just, um, and I'm preaching the choir. I mean, Rob says the same thing. It's just a, the AR 15 yep. is just a style of gun and Charlie powers like, yeah, why don't we just rename it? So then it's not an assault rifle. Right. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And, yep. and, uh, like you said earlier on, when you make decisions based on emotion, you're not addressing you, you, you're, 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 blinded to some of the facts because we're all emotional people and and it's good to be emotional it's good to to, to not want to see more dead children or anybody dead um but you can't make policy decisions when you're focused on your emotional attachment to it so you have to you have to disconnect yourself from it um long enough to to pragmatically look right. at this the problem you cannot make policy decisions when it's based on emotions and when it's based on fallacies in your argument, which this is a huge one. The thinking is, this is what they're trying to communicate. We ban the AR-15s because it'll, some, it'll do something to stop shootings like what happened in Florida. Here's another common argument I've seen come up a couple of times. Um, and I even saw one from, uh, uh, not really a friend, but somebody that I know, we have, we have, uh, common associates. Okay. This was a comment I saw on Facebook the other day. So this is, this is a shooter. This is a gun owner. And he said, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not in favor of a lot of what's being talked about. I'm not in favor of banning AR-15s, 
But, you know, what could the harm be in maybe having longer background checks, you know, uh, wait times on background checks? You know, what, what could the harm be on making us wait a week to pick up our guns? It's just a week, guys. I mean, come on. And I'm like, you know what? On the surface, that really doesn't sound like it's that unreasonable, right? But question, sir, what in the heck does that have to do with anything with what's going on in the country right now? Seriously, what does yeah. it have to do with anything? Would that have stopped this most recent school shooting? Absolutely nope. not. He dude bought that rifle a year ago. Yeah. How about uh, Stephen Paddock in Las Vegas? Yeah, he bought a few things like you know, a week or two before he committed the, the shooting, but he acquired many of them over the, the, the year leading up to that shooting and for years prior to that, right? So <laughs> once again, we have to look, if we're actually serious about coming up with solutions for this problem. And it is a problem. I hate to put that in air quotes, but the, the challenge is what is the actual pro- problem? You know, identifying what that actual problem is, right? Uh, now, on the surface, the problem is too many school and mass shootings, right? Okay, if that's the problem, and if we're staying on that level, on that surface, what does increased background check wait times have to do? What does enforcing, you know, doing more, making background checks more stringent have to do with any of it too, I'll right? Tell you, I'll tell you exactly what it is, Riley. Um, it's, it's these people are placating to their personal feeling that if they do something, that it's better than nothing. That if, if we do this, I feel better about myself because I'm not doing nothing, right? I'm, I don't have blood on my hands. So I'm doing something, even though it's not going to work. I'm doing something which is not solving the problem and it's not having empathy or sympathy or a desire to fix the problem. It's about you and what you want to feel about yourself, that you've done something, that you're on this moral high ground than everybody else because you're for three-day waiting periods when you know that it's not going to help, but it makes you feel better. That's what it's all about. Yep. Right on, brother. Okay. Yeah, Douglas actually makes makes a very solid point here in our comments here. He says, problem is lack of value to human life. It's absolutely true. It's a sad reality. I don't know how we address that exactly, but clearly we've seen a deterioration in our culture and in our society, in basic values and beliefs and morals. I know that there are some parents out there that do everything they can to raise their kids right. And they still, you know, they, they still turn out bad for whatever reason. You know, they, they do bad things. But by and large, we've seen just a rampant and rapid deterioration of everything that should be held sacred and dear. And a New York Times columnist, boy, this is, this is a loaded one. Uh, I'll have to be careful not to spend too much time on this one. On townhall.com, Beth Bowman, I think it's, I think you say Bowman. She spells it differently than how I spell my name, <laughs> but, or maybe it's Bowman, but uh, she writes about this article titled New York Times columnist, let's repeal the second amendment. So you have this columnist, his name is Brett Stevens, and he wrote this, this op-ed in the New York Times that makes actually a lot of valid points. And by that, I mean that he points out the flaws in the anti-gunners logic. He says, look guys, you guys keep talking about, you know, gun show loopholes, which we just read from that uh, guy running for Congress in Pennsylvania, uh, Connor Lamb. 
he, he used that terminology, right? This Brett Stevens in this op-ed says, guys, there's no gun show loophole. It's a private sale loophole, right? In other words, the right to sell your own stuff. Uh, the civilian Air-15 is not a true assault rifle, he says, and banning such rifles would have little effect on the overall murder rate. Holy cow, that's so true too, right? Uh, most hand- homicides are committed with handguns. It's not true that 40% of gun owners buy without a background check. The real number is probably closer to one-fifth. The NRA does not have Republican balls in a money clip, as Jimmy Kimmel put it the other night. The NRA has donate, donated a paltry $3.5 million to all current members of Congress since 1998, according to the Washington Post, equivalent to about three months of Kimmel's salary. The NRA does not need to buy influence. It's powerful because it's popular, right? Anyway, there's a lot. I could go on and read this whole article and quote from it. There's a, actually a lot of true and valid points that he makes. But his whole point is, guys, and he counts himself amongst these anti-gunners, if we're going to argue for this, we got to argue for it correctly. And he says, really, the only argument to be had here is abolishing or repealing the Second Amendment. And kudos to Brett Stevens, man, because like I totally disagree with him uh, on repealing the Second Amendment, but he is the one of the first people to come out and just say, and say what it is like, like, Hey, we're arguing this stuff and we're, we're, we don't know what we're talking about. And really what we want is to repeal the second amendment and to take away all the firearms and make them illegal to own firearms and only have the police and, you know, law uh, law enforcement and the government have firearms. That's the truth. That's the only way that gun control will work. And he's actually saying it. So I don't agree with him, but I, I have to, you know, applaud him or respect him for at least saying the truth. Yeah. So let's repeal the second amendment. Now he admits to, in his, in his article that this would be uh, very difficult to do. Um, Cam Edwards from NRA TV points out that it would take 38 states to repeal the second amendment. Keep in mind, 44 states explicitly explicitly protect the right to keep and bear arms in their state constitutions. So in other words, it would take quite a few states to not only repeal the Second Amendment federally, but also they'd have to repeal sections of their own constitutions. So you've got that. I mean, because that that, that would make sense, right? Like in order for a state, like otherwise they would be violating their own constitutions if they got on board with repealing the Second Amendment. So you got you got to overcome that hurdle, first of all. You got to overcome the pretty high standard of getting two thirds of the states to come out and, you know, in a constitutional, uh, in a yeah constitutional convention, uh, you, you need two thirds of Congress uh, agree, also agreeing with that, that the amendment should be repealed. This is not something that just happens overnight or in a day or even probably within a year. But Mr. Stevens' point is, guys, the battle, you know, it only starts now. It will take some time, but we got to work towards this. So this is the long-term play. This is the, and we know this is the ultimate goal of any true anti-gunner, of every town USA, of Michael Bloomberg. The ultimate goal is ultimate repeal of the Second Amendment. That's the only way. It's the only way that any of these uh, gun laws would work. It's it really is. It's the only only way. Yeah, and, and I will. You know, if every gun disappeared off the face of the earth, sure, there'd be less gun deaths, right? I mean, or deaths attributed to guns, of course. But that's not going to happen. And so, 
you can't live in a, in a theoretical world or base laws on a theoretical, uh, you know, utopia. It's not gonna. It's not gonna happen. So they they have to go towards that. They they have to work towards that because obviously signs don't work. That was a big shocker to them. You know, putting up a sign that says "Don't bring a gun here" doesn't work. Um, so what's the next step? You know, we ban AR-15s. Well, then somebody comes and shoots up the place with the shotgun. Well, what can we do? The, the, the AR-15 ban didn't work. What can we do? Well, we ban shotguns. Okay. Well, that didn't work because somebody comes in and shoots up the, the school with handguns. So what do we do now? Well, we have to do something. We can't, we can't not do anything. So we ban handguns. It, it's, it's the slippery slope that we've talked about all the time and all the, you know, viewers and listeners are aware of. It's just, it, that's the ultimate, it has to progress that way. It has to. Yeah. It's very true. Uh, here's another quote from uh, Brett Stevens. He says here, um, the true foundation of American exceptionalism should be our capacity for moral and constitutional renewal, not our instinct for self-destruction. I pose an interesting question here at this juncture. And that question would be, Mr. Stevens, have you looked at history? Have you looked at uh, countries in Africa, in Southeast Asia, we're talking Vietnam, Cambodia, elsewhere, China. Uh, have you looked at the Weimar Republic, you know, with the rise of Hitler, with the confiscation of guns from Jews? Have you looked at, you know, all, uh, uh, North Korea? It would be another great example. These powerful regimes that take complete control of their people, and they are always associated with gun confiscation in, in the in the uh, repeal or or uh, destruction of gu- gun rights possessed by the people by free people, right? So if we're if he he poses he he seems to imply that we are headed for self destruction if we don't do something about the Second Amendment in this country. I would ask the question: Is is that the the right way to look at it. I mean, are we heading towards self destruction because we're going to destroy ourselves with all these, you know, three hundred million guns we have in this country, or would it be more likely that we disarm ourselves as a people, and at some point something happens in this country's government that ultimately results in self destruction of our constitution and of its people, in particular their will, their will to uh, their 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 free will and freedom to express themselves and make choices and, and be their own uh, in, in control of their own destinies. To me, that's a far greater, and that's a, that's a, another thing that has to be pointed out here. And I know it's really hard for the other side to, to grasp this concept because they say, oh, you're just being paranoid. That's, that's crazy. Like that'll never happen because we're so enlightened and we're so awesome and amazing, you know, that we, we would never, you know, do anything to hurt our own people by, uh, you know, with our government, right? Like, we would never do that. We're, we're going to be this amazing, fantastic, perfect utopia of a society. And part of achieving that goal is confiscating and eliminating all weapons from society. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the idea that uh, the government is so infallible and so, so perfect that, you know, Parts of the government would never be used to spy against its own citizens, or parts of the government would never target um, a different political um, affiliated private business, right, or uh, nonprofit. And and uh, you know these are the same people that say police are are corrupt. They're 
their systemic racism, their, their, uh, everything is bad about the police and, and, you know, but yet we trust them. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, you know, we, we trust the police, um, but they're to be the only ones with firearms because they're, they're the smartest, but we, but you know, we don't, uh, but we, you know, they're all racist and it's systematic racism. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Milt is commenting here on Facebook. What, what, or let me get that right. What? So only police and criminals will have guns. How is this better? I personally cherish the right to protect myself and my family. I'm glad for that, Milt. Now, are you trolling me here on this next section? Because I'm in favor of regulating bump stocks. I'm not going to hold that too much against you, just so you know, because that makes the semi-automatic rifle act as an automatic rifle. Also, who in the world needs a 30 or 50 round magazine and hunting rifle? Bambi should be dead in one or two rounds. Are you trolling me here, brother? Come on now. <laughs> Second Amendment's not just about, that. that's another important thing here, right? Second Amendment's not, a, it's, frankly, I think it was one of the furthest things from our founding fathers' minds when they wrote the Second Amendment was hunting. Right? So, uh, hey, all right, Milt, let's move on. Douglas says, the laws that keep government from acting against us are the same as laws that criminals break every second and it's just, and is, and just oh, I, got, I don't know if I'm understanding here, and just a impotent. Well, let's move on from this article. Brett Stevens is sorely mistaken, although his whole point here at the end of the day is, guys, the focus needs to be on repealing the Second Amendment. He says, I'm not talking about completely getting rid of all, you know, guns. He, he just doesn't want a blanket constitutional reason for the people having guns. He's okay with Australian and UK style, you know, approaches to the possession and licensure of, of firearms to the people. Um, yeah, well, that's a pretty scary world. Uh, just look at some of the articles we've covered in the past on the podcast dealing with crime rates and murders and things like that. And not only that, but the lack of respect for human life as far as people are not allowed to defend themselves from attacks in a lot of cases. The guy in Australia, the farmer, that was being attacked in his home by a dude with a knife and he pulls out his shotgun, which is licensed to him for rodent control. And he doesn't have it loaded or anything. He points it at the guy and says, dude, I got a shotgun. You got a knife. Who's going to win this one? And the dude with the knife's like, okay, right? So this, this unloaded shotgun saves this guy's life potentially. And he, the farmer is the one that's charged because he used the shotgun in a, in a, in a way that was not consistent with his, his license or his permit. It was an unlawful use of that shotgun. He was not allowed to use it for self-defense. Self-defense is self-defense, right? Except yeah. for when you get into these crazy countries like the UK and Australia and France and crap. They have common sense gun laws, Riley. They have common sense gun laws. Yeah, That's exactly. common sense. That's my point. All right. <clears throat> Thieves brag on social media as Chicago carjacking surge leads to highest number in a decade. What's this story about? Well, yeah, Chicago's not safe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, actually, though, there are large metro cities that are, by per capita, more violent than Chicago. Now, Chicago is bad, 
they get no, a bad rap. No doubt about that. They're the worst of the of you know, like we got three major metros, right? New York in on the east, LA on the west, and Chicago in the middle. And Chicago, no doubt, is the worst of those three. Yeah, and Cleveland's not too far behind. So and that's my <laughs> that's my uh where I was born. So yeah. Well, Cleveland's a lot smaller than Chicago, brother. Exactly. But we got a problem with carjacking in Chicago. We have a problem with with gun violence there. Uh and the vast majority of that gun violence are thugs that have guns, illegal guns. They're possessing them illegally. They're obviously using them illegally. They're using them in the commission of these carjacking crimes. So what's going on there? And what do you think the problem here is, Matthew? Well, yeah, I mean, the problem, I think, is, you know, it's the and I see this happen a lot that the, the police departments become politicized and they can't really uh, affect the right policies that are going to stop certain things and focus on certain things because a they're either understaffed or the uh the the direction of the the the, the police department is kind of like hey let's let's focus on this stuff more and not focus on that because getting involved in that would um be too problematic uh in in a political type way if that makes sense I don't know if, you know, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but when they start playing politics with, hey, we don't want to touch these the, these um, neighborhoods because if we go in, then it's going to uh, make it seem like we're targeting the lower income neighborhoods because, and we don't want it to seem that way. So, you know, kind of step off in, in, in your um your enforcement and certain things. And, and I, I think it, it has ramifications all the way down the road, all the way down the line and, and kind of manifests in, in situations like this. Yeah. You know, it's, as you dive into this article, uh, it talks about how basically they, they just, they need to get a lot tougher on these carjackers, right? One simple example, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Matthew, because I mean, you were a patrol cop for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the controversial you know, pieces of this is that Chicago has a pretty hard and fast rule about, you know, not pursuing carjackers, not going on, you know, uh, on these, these chases, these high speed chases and whatnot. Now there's reasons for that, obviously, um, have there been other, you know, innocent people that have been hurt or killed because of police, you know, or, or high-speed chases where police were involved? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, bad guys have hit innocent people, and even police officers, unfortunately, have hit, you know, innocent people in the in the course of that. There's got to be some sort of balance, so maybe. I mean, what do you think about this? Because one thing that seems clear to me in reading the article is that a lot of these carjackers are emboldened because they know they can get away with it. They know no one's going to come after them. And then another thing it touches on is, is how difficult it is to prove that these you know, guys uh, had knowledge that the, gun, that the car they're in possession of was stolen. And yeah. in a lot of cases, they're getting off with misdemeanors as opposed to, to felonies. Yeah, and this is kind of – and I, I, I'm not going to go – I won't – draw this out too long, but it, it hits home to me in a number of ways. Um, our department, um, when I first started, we were pretty aggressive as far as, um, uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but our policy was more 
that the officer could make the decision whether to terminate the pursuit or continue based because he was actually there or she and, and could see the the speeds how much traffic there was is the person um doing things that is putting the public at risk and that's always the balance is, yeah. is you know what is the violation that you're chasing this person for and you know what it and are you putting the, the the community at risk and if it's a low level misdemeanor crime we're not going to chase them obviously you know um but what what i saw it was trending and it wasn't just my department it was departments across all of California was that now you would have to get permission to continue a pursuit from somebody that might not even be there, mainly your sergeant, right? And obviously the sergeant's going to err on the side, way on the side of caution, but they might not have the, the, or they oftentimes don't have, they're not in the pursuit at that point. So what I saw a lot of pursuits in, in, uh, and sergeants would be quick to, I don't want, I don't want that problem on my, you know, with my squad or on my watch. So we're just going to, we're just going to cancel the pursuit way too early, like way before it should have been. And, um, and, and you know, it, what ended up happening was a lot of pursuits got canceled when they should have continued. And, and the problem is, is let's say you're an officer and you see a DUI that's, that's, you know, weaving down the road. Well, yeah, it might be a misdemeanor. DOI might be a misdemeanor, right? But the, the public at large, if you don't stop this person, you can't just let this person continue. You have to pursue them. So if they begin to take off and they don't stop for you, at what point do you, you know, um, it, a lot of California agencies, you weren't allowed to use the pit maneuver, right? It, um, so it, what ended up happening, and I'll, and I'll, tell a real quick story. Um, there was an incident where um, there was a shooting in an, a, a, a company or a, an adjacent city. A shooting, a guy got out, uh, shot a shotgun in through this car that was sitting, that was stopped at, at a drive through shot the guy in the face. He gets in the car, takes off. One of our officers, because this, this, uh, this car ends up coming through our city uh, on, the, on the freeway. One of our officers sees the vehicle on the freeway, starts to begin to pursue it. The sergeant immediately says, no, like cancel the pursuit, stop the pursuit, right? The dude's going, you know, hundred miles on the freeway. It's not worth it. It's one, one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so our, our officers uh, stop pursuit. We didn't have a, a helicopter up in time. So no eyes on the car vehicle goes away. Uh, and, and meanwhile, I mean, let me tell you that this guy just shot somebody. So it was a pretty high level crime, right? But that, that Sergeant wasn't listening to the adjacent, uh, uh, city's, uh, radio traffic. So he didn't know exactly what was going on. He made the decision and ultimately that car exits in the next city or next town over exits, pulls up next to a police officer who stopped at a red light, pulls out the shotgun and shoots the officer, kills him right there. So for me, um, yeah, terrible. Um, uh, Jeremy Henwood, I don't know if you, you, you familiar with that story, but so the problem is, is that you don't always, you, you can't win with these things, right? You, you err on one side and something like that could happen or you pursue it and you stop something, but you don't know what you, 
might've stopped, right? If, the, if our officer just continued, maybe he saves that officer's life and that officer never dies. Um, but, we, but the problem is, is you never know that right until, until afterwards. So these, this, this kind of stuff, this politicizing and saying, you know, we don't want the bad publicity of our officers um, chasing after a car and it crashing and that person dying in a crash, you know, that looks bad. That's, it's, it's a bad look. On the other hand, would you rather have a cop get killed, you know, or this drunk driver per- continue down and, and kill somebody? So these these reactions from the, the higher ups at the departments that make these policies it is sometimes makes the cops really stand off and, and, and err on way on the side of caution and bad things happen. And just like this, I mean you can't tell me that that doesn't embolden these, these, I mean, it's coming out of their mouths that they're emboldened by a a lack of pursuit policy. So, yeah. Yeah, And actually David asks that follow-up question here. And I think he's, you know, intending to ask you with your experience and what you saw in the San Diego area, uh, did criminals ever catch onto this trend of not being pursued and run more frequently? Yeah, absolutely. You look at, um, you, you look at, um, different areas in, in when you when you take when you uh, actually arrest people and talk to them like and people that do do run from police and things like that and, and you know that like they they tell you like I've had people that have bailed from cars stolen cars you know who they are because they left their wallet in there but you can't prove that it was them it could have been somebody else with their wallet you find their ID you go out you get an arrest warrant you you, you know you arrest them you know, and they're like yeah I wasn't going to get caught in it I knew you guys can't prove it you know you can't prove that I was driving it you can't prove you know I was a passenger in it well that's a that's different you know it's a different crime it's a different punishment so they know they know the deal they know hey I'd rather book it and you know you guys can't prove anything and I get a slap on the wrist or you know maybe my probation gets revoked or something for a couple months but it's much better to take the risk of running especially if they're not going to you're not going to chase after me you know it, it's and they tell you that straight to your face and you know yep. you can't do anything about it so Yep. So we're looking right here too. And I, I just was thinking from, you know, on this article here talking about these thieves bragging on social media and, and that's the title. And the reason why, because they're quite literally on certain groups and things on social media saying, Hey, you know, man, I, you know, I was able to get a Mercedes and the other guy's like, well, I got a Lexus, you know, like it's like this game to them. Uh, and so clearly they, they're emboldened. They're willing to put themselves out there. They're looking for that next heist, you know, that next big thing, trying to, you know, establish street cred within their, their own, their own groups uh, of violent criminals that, Hey man, I'm a, I'm a big bad dude. I was able to, to do this, this thing, but we see right here on this uh, same page and this art, this whole article is on foxnews.com and look right here, training in the U S number two, it says here assault rifle wielding MS 13 member threatens motorists. Cop cops say, you think that dude acquired that weapon legally? Chances are probably not. How about this one down a little bit lower? Illinois man hired teen to kill parents with hammer, police say. Yeah, it's not the gun. It's not the tool. It's the person behind the tool. We know that, but hey, we got to keep fighting this battle. You know, it seems to me that uh, 
the, the concern in being perhaps overly concerned and terminating pursuits uh, too early at times, uh, that, that's the short-term play, right? Because something could happen in the next few minutes that is bad, right? Somebody gets hurt and we don't want, that we don't want to get hurt. That's the short-term play. The long-term play is that over time, guys start figuring it out. And they get a lot more bold and a lot more willing and it's and encouraged to go out and commit these types of crimes. What do you think is going to happen if we further restrict citizens' rights to possess, carry, and and have or and or use uh, firearms in this country? Yeah, it emboldens. It emboldens. I mean, look at, at any time there's a mass shooting, it's always in a gun-free zone, and that's not by that's not by coincidence. Um, it's it's strategic by the person committing the crime, um, and, and we've kind of gone off of the whole concept of terrorists. You know, this ISIS thing because we kind of put them in check a little bit, and we haven't had those ISIS-inspired, you know, uh, terrorists. But they're still being being uh told to you know use vehicles and knives in in mass uh mass ca- to 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 affect mass casualties so you know they don't none of these people target uh hard targets they don't go and target you know police stations and things like that they target people that are walking down the street they target gun free zones they target areas that people would feel uh safe and and it's not by accident so for sure, brother. Final story before, actually, no, excuse me, two more stories before we get to our justified segment. Soldiersystems.net reports that ex-products owner James Malarkey thinks the magazines he sells should be restricted by law. This has been a hit in social media. I've seen a number of posts now already today on this now. Uh, and this article, it, it features screenshots uh, of this, uh, of, of X products. Now X products, if you're not familiar, they, they make some pretty cool magazines for typically for semi-automatic rifles. A lot of these are kind of skeletonized, you know, as you load up these mags, you can actually see, you know, the, the rounds in there very clearly, like you can actually tell how many rounds are left in your magazine as you're shooting it. They're pretty cool mags. They're not cheap. A lot of them are, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Uh, they're made from, you know, metal from aluminum, typically, uh, they're really well built, really well made. They work well. So cool company, cool product, not so cool CEO. There's screenshots in this article on soldiersystems.net of some of the statements that he has made. Uh, and you get to the bottom here and you'll actually see that he's got a, he's got a two part. I mean, these are long, these are long comments. These are clearly comments that he's made on some post uh, on Facebook. And there's a part one and a part two. Now, lest you think he just got tripped up in his words, if you actually read through these, it's clear that this is what he thinks. He's put a lot of thought and time into typing up these, these two parts of his philosophy. And basically, at the end of the day, what he's getting down to is that he thinks that we should further restrict not just magazines, but gun rights in general, okay? Uh, here, here's a really clear uh, point 
Uh, and Matthew, you were talking about this earlier today. Uh, you, you quoted this. You said, I also believe gun ownership is a privilege, and that privilege is nearing a tipping point. The frequency at which we experience these large-scale shootings is becoming all too common, and we really do need to make a change. Further down, he says his philosophy is simple. If you have nothing to hide, then why be concerned? Everyone in this country should be given an equal right to own whatever they want. However, there should be a regimented, well-regulated structure to how you should achieve those rights. A structured system with checks and balances that's well-managed will prevent a lot, not all, the problems we face today. What are some of those checks and balances or, or those restrictions that he sees? Well, basically, we should have something similar to our current uh, system, you know, with the ATF where for SBRs and suppressors and automatic rifles and just other destructive devices where you got to have special permits, special background checks and special fees or taxes. Basically, let's extend that to other things is, is where he's where he's going here. Okay. Um, he says, realistically, if we want to prevent gun violence, we need to formalize the process to ownership qualify, validate, and renew licensing just like a driver's license or dive certification, preventing or impeding someone with ill will from going through the process and then taking action. Below is an example of what the system would look like. And he talks about a license one, a yellow badge, and what this would entail. And it's basically a hunting uh, a license or permit, okay? Uh, an orange badge or license two. Uh, this would be, you know, more. it would be extended to additional rifles and things like that. Uh, there's a license three, which uh, is a purple badge, rifle and pistol, unlimited capacity, renews every five years. A license four green badge, do away with the NFA laws and move into this system, unlimited with restrictions, like our NFA law, I'm not going to go into all the details there. License five, gold badge, unlimited. So basically, there's all these different classes of licenses that you could obtain. Okay, but it's very specific and 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 very regimented, as he describes in his own words. I think his this is what I think. Okay, this is this is my opinion, uh, my own. You know, trying to interpret what and make sense of what he's saying here. Because keep in mind, this is the CEO of of a fairly popular company in our industry. Okay. And he's basically saying that we need to have a very structured licensing system or program for gun ownership and or magazine and or ammunition, you know, possession or purchases or whatever in this country. That's basically what, what he's getting at here. What do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, guys, on Facebook, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. You know, is this I mean, something you can get on board with or what? I, I think he could move to California and a lot of those things, a lot of them would already be a reality for him. Um, you know, I, I would like to get him on, on the podcast to just kind of, you know, because I'd like to hear his point of view more, you know, in word rather than in his written um response so hopefully maybe we can get get him to come on the podcast and just kind of talk talk about uh his philosophy i don't per, you know personally it's not it's not shocking that i don't necessarily agree um i don't think that the that this gun ownership is a privilege um driving is a privilege having a dive license is a privilege um owning a gun if you're not a criminal or been adjudicated mentally ill um is not a privilege it's 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 a right and it, it it's pretty 
it's pretty plain to see that. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know exactly where he's coming from um, on a lot of this. And it bothers me that, and I might be totally misunderstanding it, but from what I understand, his company, and I'm familiar with the company, sells high capacity magazines and air drums and things like that. If you're making money off of the thing that you think is is evil or should be regulated, um, then I, I have a have to question your, your, you know, where your morals are. And I'm not saying he's immoral. I don't, I'm just saying from the appearance, it would, it would appear as though, and that's why I'd like to have him, you know, be able to talk to him and just say, you know, is, is it a confliction and selling air high capacity AR magazines and drums, and then saying that they need to be regulated because they are the reason for, or, or a contributing factor in mass shootings. I mean, I don't know. For me, it would be. Yeah. One basic problem. I mean, this is a, on the almost basic level that I would that I would destroy this type of system from an argumentative basis is that this is class warfare at its finest. Because you, I guarantee you, you institute something like this where licensing is required for all these various steps along the way for whatever types of guns that you want to you know, possess, I guarantee you that there would be fees and costs associated. Yeah. Tremendous fees. And so what we see time and time again on the podcast, I know we see it every week, low income people that live in rough places that have their homes broken into or their vehicles carjacked or they are attacked on the street or they are raped or sexually assaulted and they successfully defend themselves with their legally possessed and acquired and sometimes licensed or they themselves are permitted to carry that concealed. They, they, this happens on a weekly or daily basis in this country and you will take away from those people with lower incomes the ability to properly arm and defend themselves. That I strongly disagree with. Absolutely. So, yeah, Douglas makes, I mean, here you go. And this is part of what I'm getting at here. He says it is a, it is people control, plain and simple. Absolutely it is. So, other great comments coming in on Facebook talking about how he may go out of business if, the, if his plan goes into effect. He may go out of business because just because he voiced his opinion on the matter because he's getting, he is getting torn apart right now in the industry. I, I, I should also say that he has said some similar things in the past. This is not the first time this has come up. So, but this is definitely going to bring it to, to the forefront of people's minds. Um, I'm going to have a hard time. Actually, I'll just tell you straight up. And I'm not a big believer in like pushing out there, you know, boycotts of companies and products and things like that. I'm just, it's just not really my style, but personally, this dude ain't getting any of my money. All right. Well, let's get to the next story. Final story for Justified. And I know we're running, you know, kind of long today and you guys are being patient because I know we still have to announce a couple of winners. Mayor Pro Tem hopes Dallas reconsiders hosting the NRA convention. I actually saw a live video earlier this morning where the, the Dallas mayor pro tem, uh, Dwayne Carraway, 
says more must be done to address the pro- proliferation of illegal guns and wants the city to reconsider hosting an upcoming NRA convention. Holy cow, I got to stop right there, Matthew, because right off the bat, he says, we got we to do something about the proliferation of illegal guns. Mm, and the people that will be attending the NRA convention are those that possess guns legally? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it, and it, the, the weird thing is, is it's, it's two totally separate statements combined into one that, that insinuates there's a cause and effect. Like, like, okay, if he wants to, I agree, more must be done to address the proliferation of illegal guns. A total, yeah. I, I think, yeah, right on, right on. Um, what are you going to do about that? Um, I think our first step should be to keep the NRA from holding a conference because that is going to st- aid in stopping the proliferation of illegal guns that that's why when these people make these statements they're, they're, they're they must not really think about what they're saying right because how, how does that if you want to stop the proliferation of illegal guns then do something that's going to do that don't reconsider hosting the nra an nra uh, banquet and, or, or meeting. Wow. How does that, it, it's, it's disingenuous at the very yep. least. For sure. Now he goes, quoting more from the article, uh, you know, continuing on says here, Monday's Monday night's dollar general murder happened in Caraway's district. The mayor pro tem says the combination of the store clerk's murder and the South Texas Church Massacre, never mind the guy that used an AR-15 to you know, put an end to that, make it clear that it's time politicians begin finding solutions to stop the slaughter. Caraway suggested putting pressure on the NRA, which is scheduled to ho- hold a convention in Dallas in 2018, and I will be there, okay? Unless it gets moved. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to, but I'm, he says, I'm calling on the city of Dallas to reconsider us even hosting the NRA in the city of Dallas. A signal must be sent that we must begin to seriously address guns. Now, Caraway says he is a gun owner and a supporter of Second Amendment rights. Bull crap. Yeah. <laughs> he also suggests the city add mobile sh- gunshot detection systems that would enable police to pinpoint shots moment after they fire. Okay. Which we have here in Denver. And I've heard mixed reports, not about Denver. I've heard Denver systems working pretty well, but I've heard some mixed reports on, on it working not as well in other places it's been tested. I don't know. I don't, that's not the issue here. The issue is that, you know, never mind, by the way, Matthew, all the money, the millions of millions of dollars that people will bring to their city as they come to attend this NRA convention. Mm-hmm. Um, so guess what, Mr. Mayor? we can take our business elsewhere elsewhere. We can take our money elsewhere. I hear San Antonio's nice. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I always love the caveat that's thrown in there. Like, Oh, but I'm a second amendment lover. I just don't think that people should own guns. And it's like, what? Like it's, it's the, it's the whole argument. Like somebody says something racist and then they say, but I have a friend who is that and you're like, that doesn't take away the fact that you just did, you know, I mean, it's like, you can't just throw out this like statement and say, but I, I, it, it kind of like, it, it's trying to make your, your point seem more valid than somebody else because you're on their side. You know, I, I I'm, I'm a pro, I, I'm a pro second amendment, but I, I hate the NRA and think that they shouldn't be here. And, uh, and, and, you know, cause guns are bad, but I love the second amendment. And it's like, no, 
what? Maybe you, maybe you need to take a civics class and understand the Bill of Rights because I think you might be mixed up on your, you, you know, you, the amendments there. For sure. Well, <laughs> I don't anticipate it being moved. Number one, I don't. I don't even think that's fair to request of an organization. Uh, it takes a lot of resources and planning and time to put this kind of stuff together. And so, a couple months in advance, you say, "No, nope, never mind." Not really cool. Not fair. If you want to say, "Don't ever come back again," fine. But uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on this one. Pretty disappointing to see such stupidity once again in operation, especially at some of our nation's highest. Uh, offices, uh, which this guy is is a holder of one of those. First justified story. Everyone, welcome to our justified segment. Story from WAPT.com. This happened in Jackson, Mississippi. And Jackson PD uh, reports that uh, a robber shot by DS Food Mart clerk dies, police say. Uh, Jackson police say a clerk shot an armed robber late Wednesday night at the DS food market on Rose Street. JPD said the suspect, 18-year-old David Williams, died from his injuries Thursday. According to police, a man and woman walked into the store just before 7.30 p.m. Wednesday. They say one of them showed the clerk a handgun and demanded money from the register. Police said the clerk grabbed a gun and fired at the two. The man and woman ran out of the store. Police said the man was found suffering from a gunshot wound and was taken to the hospital where he later died. Police are working to identify the second suspect, and and an additional arrest is expected. The investigation is ongoing. So you got two people. They go into a store. They produce a handgun in an attempt to rob the store. Unfortunately, it goes badly for them. We see these stories all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah, it, I, I thought it was pretty interesting the fact that typically we think of you know males. Um, working with other males to commit, you know, an armed robbery or males going by themselves. And we don't typically think of females um, being involved in, in crimes like this, but oftentimes they are. And, you know, sometimes we, and there's been, you know, we can talk about the situations where the, the concealed carrier gets too focused on the male and doesn't even realize a female is there and ends up, you know, we've seen it before where they've gotten shot from the female. So um, I thought this was a good, a good uh, story to show that, you know, can't always go with our, our initial ideas that only males are bad. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's so true. Good thoughts. I'm reminded of a story too, Matthew, a few years ago, there was a story uh, where a, a man who was carrying I can't remember now if he was carrying openly or concealed, but regardless, uh, a woman waiting, it was at a convenience store and a woman waiting behind him in line to check out with her things. Supposedly, I don't, I don't imagine she, I think she saw a crime of opportunity and just sort of jumped at it. Right. So waiting to check out this dude is either carrying openly or he, or he's printing somehow she knows he's got a gun and she grabs it right out of his holster and then she holds him up. Wow. And, and the clerk, you know, like, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, by and large, these types of crimes are committed by, by males. Uh, but d- don't let your guard down just because it's a lady. Take away with, uh, you know, describe for us the next story, Matthew. We've got this story from a CBS affiliate in North Carolina. The, the title is 
North Carolina homeowner says he shot intruder after man kicked down back door. Yeah. So let me pull this up. I'm going to drop it into the show notes. I've been trying to do that for you guys so you can kind of follow along um, and open it up. So there's the, there's the link right there. Um, but yeah, let me, let me open it up here. Um, this is, this was a, this was an interesting, I think, kind of justified story in the fact that, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, we always kind of look at um, our uses of force and we think, okay, well, um, it's going to happen, you know, as I'm doing this, or it's going to happen when I do that. But we, a lot of times, our idea is the, the main one is bump in the night, right? We hear glass break in the night while you're sleeping. And that's kind of like the top story, the top what if scenario that we think about. And this is exactly what happened. You know, this guy, uh, this homeowner, here's a bump in the night, here's glass break. And all of a sudden this dude that, um, who's, uh, who has an extensive criminal record, um, is at is trying to kick in his door and uh he sh- he sh- he grabs his gun and shoots him um and, and you know it's it's kind of like the quintessential self defense case you know if if you look at it so um i i i thought it was it was pretty interesting that um you know he 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 knew it he knew the guy but you know didn't really um didn't really I, 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 he knew him, but like it was, uh, he didn't think that he w- was going to go that far. Um, yeah. w- what, you know, so sometimes it's, it's not the, fa- the, the phantom in the night. It might be somebody that you kind of know, or that maybe, you know, you had a run in with somebody in the past or something, um, that ends up, you know, and that's always more difficult because you actually kind of know the person and you're kind of wrestling. Is this person really going to, try to harm me yep classic story we report on these every week and here's another one coming right up for you out of uh hemet i think it is i don't know yep california yeah a parolee with and this this is titled this is on uh, abc7.com hemet couple opens fire on intruder during attempted burglary a parolee with lengthy criminal record was shot and wounded by both residents of a home he was attempting to rob in Hemet, police said. The only way to stop them is to shoot them when they come in here, said Jeff Sagmeister. Uh, I believe that is someone that's associated. Yeah, it's Jeff and Vaughn Sagmeister who are residents of the home, okay? Uh, police say a man broke into a home in the 1700 block of South, Sta- South State Street after midnight Tuesday. Jeff and Vaughn Sagmeister, residents of the home who are in their 70s, confronted the burglar who was hiding in a bathroom. I just opened the door and boom, that's all it took. And he was on me right away, Je- Jeff Sagmeister said. After, as the two struggled, Vaughn Sagmeister ran into the living room and grabbed her gun. So she's a she, right? All the while, her husband eventually got the upper hand. I shot him three or four times in the chest, he said. But then the suspect lunged toward Von Sagmeister and hit her in the face, she said. When he got into the hallway, he knocked me into the heater there, and then she blasted him with the 357, Jeff Sagmeister said. Oh, my gosh. Dang. This is great. 
the way and the, the terminology they're using is pretty pretty comical. Uh, the in, the intruder fled the home. Police said officers responded and searched the area, but were unable to locate the man. Now, mind you, this story, <laughs> this story is going to go in my collection of stories that I use to point out to people the stupidity of getting all hung up and, and, and heated about stopping power arguments in, in pistol calibers because, you know, she blasts him with the 357. He shot several times in the chest and yet he's still able to flee the home and hit, you know, the wife in the face. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So much for that, people. you know, one shot stop stopper of a, you know, of a man, the 357 Magnum. Uh, anyway, a short time later, they learned of a person with gunshot wounds who was being treated at a hospital in Moreno Valley. He was transported to Riverside University Health System. Officers were able to link him to the burglary reported earlier. Now, get this. This guy did not die. says he was treated for multiple gunshot wounds that were determined to be non-life-threatening. Non-life-threatening wounds shot several times in the chest. With a yes. seven magnum. So, I mean, in, in without opening the can of worms, before I, before I go in, Aaron, I, I'm glad you're here, man. I knew that you'd like that. Uh, Aaron, he lives out in California. He's a buddy of mine, and uh, he's, uh, he's near uh, Hemet, California. So, um, I knew you'd like that one. But, but yeah, so... so <laughs> and David says bath salts, Aaron, bath salts. <laughs> but, but see, the thing is, is that without opening the can of worms that is the, the caliber debate, it's always, it's always better if you can to, to shoot targeted or to fire targeted rounds at, you know, well-placed rounds um, because you can fill people up with all kinds of lead. But if it's not, um, if it's not in uh, vital areas of the body, it's probably not going to stop them. I mean, I've just seen so many cases like this um, responded to, you know, been there and seen, you know, gang members are always the ones that survive shootings and they're filled up with all kinds of different shot holes, but none of them happen to hit, you know, anything vital. And then a stray 22 caliber round goes through a window and strikes a kid while they're sleeping and the kid dies. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's always, um, it's not necessarily the, the size of the lead. Now, yes, you know, larger bullets create larger wounds and things like that. I understand that, but, um, you know, it's not always the end all be all of, you know, one shot, one kill type thing. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I mean, but that's why this story is remarkable, right? You got a couple of, you, got, you have a couple, uh, a married couple that are in their seventies. They're in their home. It's, it's late. Uh, someone breaks in a struggle ensues. I mean, the, the, the victim, the victim, I didn't mean to say the victim, the, the dude, he, he, he almost was a victim because the way they unloaded on him, you know, I mean, geez. Uh, but no, but, uh, you know, the bad guy here, uh, he, he doesn't say how old he is, but he's likely younger than 70. Oh, here it is. I found it. It took me a second. Deshaun Wallace, 27 years of age. You got a 27-year-old man in a struggle with a 70-plus-year-old man. Who's going to win that fight? 99 out of 100 times, Matthew. Yeah, the <laughs> gun is a straight up physical fight. Gun is probably a good equalizer in that in that uh fight. Right? That's point number 1. Th this is a perfect example of why 
gun rights are important as it relates to self-defense because it is a great equalizer for those that are otherwise disadvantaged physically for other reasons, because of age or other physical shortcomings, right? Man and wife, the wife is struck in the face. The dude is being beat up. It says he's ga- he gains the upper hand, uh, but that likely would not have lasted. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it just is it's not common that a 70 year old can, can last any amount of time against a much younger, uh, healthy man. The wife is able to get a gun. Uh, she uses it. This dude is shot multiple times. Then lesson number two, as you already touched on is make those shots count because people, you see this all the time. Well, I only need one shot out of my 45, or if you need more than five or six, then you're doing something wrong or you shouldn't be carrying a gun in the first place. You know, and they would say the same thing about a 357. I got 357, six shots. It's all I need. It's all you need if you make them count. Maybe, maybe. It's not the, you know, amazing, you know, powerhouse that that everyone thinks that it is because we're talking about, you know, 380 on the low end, let's just say, in typical defensive rounds, and 357 on the upper hand. 200 foot pounds to 500, 550. It's not that big a difference. I am, you know, I'm sorry to say bust your balls here, but folks, but you know, we're not talking about the difference between 300 foot pounds of energy and 3000 out of a high, you know, powered rifle or something. Right. So the point is, you guys get this. There's a lot of great comments here. Aaron says, yes, well-placed shots. Shot placement is everything. Charlie says, shooting ball ammo? You never know. Uh, but I have other documented instances where people are shooting defensive rounds and it doesn't get the job done, done in the way you expect it to, sometimes from larger caliber weapons. Uh, Aaron also says, this is a good example of old age and treachery beats out youth and vigor. <laughs> got to be more skilled at violence and be willing to use it. Excellent thoughts, gentlemen. And also excellent thoughts from you, Matthew, as well. That wraps up our justified stories for today. Good stories there. And that's that last one there that we ended on. I, I just, I got to, I get it. You know, it just is a great story <laughs> and it, it's got a happy ending. You know, at the end of the day, everybody comes out of it alive and well. Yeah, Except one of them is behind bars for a couple It's California. So he'll, he'll, He'll probably get released after three years, <laughs> two years or something. Oh, geez. Well, it's time now, ladies and gentlemen, to announce three more, our remaining three winners of the 200th episode giveaway uh, prizes. We've got three more here. What we still have on the table, by the way, is a uh, uh, we have a one quarter, so a three-month uh, Guardian Nation membership. And basically, the idea there is that you're going to get not only the membership for free, but that, that that's for a quarter. So you're going to also qualify for whatever uh, quarterly Guardian Nation you know gearbox that we send uh, the, for that quarter as well. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that's worth uh, you know the current box that is shipping right now, probably arriving at some people's doorsteps today or tomorrow, is valued at I think 140, 135, or 140 dollars. Uh, we've had boxes valued as high as 170 or almost $180. So this, even this uh, quarter, you know, three month uh, GN membership worth, worth its, you know, uh, f- worth a fair amount. We have, we still have the dry fire kit. That's a Glock e-trainer, a cert 
uh, it's the standard cert uh, 110 model pistol okay and a laser it's not the laser ammo brand but it's one of those laser ammunition you know insert cartridges um, that you can use as well for dry fire okay that's the dry fire kit and then we also still have the live fire kit which is a comes with a live fire drill cards book i had one here somewhere don't see it right now uh i'd hold it up and show you all that are viewing and then also comes with the uh mantis uh x the mantis training you know device a really cool thing and then a set of ammo ears or ammo protection it's a brand from ammo ears so still three great prizes on, on the line here. Three of you are going to be lucky. Mike is crossing his fingers, he says. And so hold on. Before we get to that point, would like to thank and recognize our sponsors, Guardian Nation and the Glocky Trainer. And don't forget, Guardian Nation members of the, live, the Guardian Nation live event tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain Time with Jeff Gonzalez of Trident Concepts. So, drum roll, please. Winner of the three-month Guardian Nation membership is Mark. We didn't even have a last name initial. It's Mark. Mark, be watching for an email. Winner of the dry fire kit with the Glocky Trainer Cert Pistol and Laser Insert. Christopher. No last name. So, Christopher, be watching for an email. And our final winner, and I know this is going to kill some of you because some of you probably have this name, <laughs> at least the first name. You might even have this as a last name initial. Winner of the Live Fire Kit is Matthew. Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Matthew L. Oh. Last name of L. <laughs> I knew that would get you excited. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mike. And I'm sorry to all those of you that did not win this, this go around, but we're hoping to maybe do some more giveaways in the near future. It may not be quite as extensive as this one where we give away, you know, almost $1,500 worth of prizes at one go, but hey, we'll, we'll, we'll have some other great uh, giveaways coming up here soon. So sorry, those that did not win, but congratulations to those that did. We've got, as a reminder, we've got uh, Tim I, Buck H, Mark, Christopher, and Matthew L. Congratulations to you all and the prizes that you that you won. Be looking for those emails from me very soon here, and uh, that'll confirm for you. If you're wondering if it's you, that'll confirm for you <laughs> that you actually were indeed a winner, and we're just so excited to get those prizes sent out to you all. So congrats, everyone. Matthew, thanks for being a part of this episode with me today. Yeah, thank you. I, as always, it's uh, it's really fun just chatting with you, and, and all the comments that come in are great. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yep. Great. Well, everyone, just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. See you next time.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.